Good morning and Merry Christmas. For those who uh, don't know me, my name's Terry. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Cross Point, and uh, happy to be here and uh, uh, enjoying this day with you. You know, uh, Kyle, uh, Pastor Kyle, has covered uh, Luke chapter 1 for the past few weeks. Uh, and this morning, uh, Aaron uh, read from chapter 2. Five times in these first two chapters of Luke, we see references to King David. Roughly a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, God made a covenant with David and gave him a promise found in 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. There are parts of this passage that clearly connect to David's son Solomon, but it's evident that the Lord wasn't talking about Solomon, but another who would come. In this passage, the Lord declares to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And later he says, my steadfast love will not depart from him. And he continues, on your house and your kingdom, uh, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It became clear that Solomon was not going to be a fulfillment of all this prophecy, as he would prove unfaithful in the end, and the kings that would follow after him would further abandon the Lord. The kingdom ultimately split in two, and the sovereignty of the throne of David was handed over to Israel's enemies. The faithlessness, their faithlessness would result in their being occupied by pagan peoples and exiled into foreign lands. In the midst of this dark time, the word of the Lord returned to the people of Israel through the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, the promise of God to David was reiterated that the throne of David would be established and upheld by a child born in the land where Jesus would later be born. For 300 years, God would send prophets to the people of Israel, regularly referencing the coming king and Messiah that would sit on the throne of David. Then for 400 years, God was silent. There were no more prophets, only waiting for the king who was to come. Many, like their kings before them, grew weary of the delay in God's fulfilling his promises. And they became became faithless. But a remnant clung to those promises and longed after Israel's... and, and longed for Israel's grief to be turned to joy and their struggles to be alleviated and their sorrows to be comforted and for his glory to be revealed. Luke, 2, verse, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 38 shows us that there are more than a few who were waiting on the redemption of Israel. They were a people prepared. The message of Luke chapter 2 to those, uh, those people at that time is that the wait is over. The promised king is here. The one who your parents and your grandparents told you about and that so many generations have longed to see in their lifetime, but it wasn't granted to them, has been granted to you. For some, the anticipation that had been building and finally coming to fruition may have been like one's wedding day. 
You're standing at the door, knowing that your groom is on the other side of that door at the end of the aisle, waiting. Months of waiting and preparation have led to this moment. And finally, the music starts and the doors are flung open wide. The surprise of it may be like a child who has endured a long period of dad being deployed overseas, only to hear a knock at the door and to open the door to unexpectedly find that he's home and he's leaning in to scoop up his little one in his arms. Now imagine that baseball's all-time home run record has been tied and a new record is due to be hit. And the one who looks to break the record is coming to your team's stadium and you have a ticket. There's no way you're going to miss this game. When he comes to the plate, the record-breaking ball is hit in the direction of your section. And as it descends, you realize it's landing in your hands. This life-changing moment is unbelievable and exhilarating. Now imagine you were there 2,000 years ago and able to be a part of this Bethlehem story of Jesus' birth on that day. There had to be an absolute amazement that the long-awaited king, whose kingdom would be eternal and who would redeem his people, would choose to start it all right here, in my day, in my town, and I get to see him, and perhaps hold him. This is so much better than any home run record, and it's surreal, and it leaves you in awe. At just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus, to fulfill his promise to David and to Israel. But he was no ordinary earthly king. He wasn't given to the noble, and his arrival wasn't heralded to the influential. Consider the first people to whom he was announced. To the lowly shepherds, God said, Behold your king, who doesn't see you as second class, but loved and cared for enough to be invited first into his presence. To Joseph, who was a simple carpenter, God said, Behold your king, entrusted to you to raise and care for until his appointed day. To Mary, a young girl in a small town, Behold your king. Delivered to you and through you as an instrument of his grace. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said to the prophets, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people means Jews and Gentiles alike. And all people isn't chronologically constrained to the people at that time or geographically constrained to that location. All people includes here and now. Good news of great joy for us. For some, I feel that perhaps we consider his story, the story of his birth, perhaps too briefly or even too distantly. Like looking at our family's wooden nativity set and dusting it off and set it on the fireplace to look at it as in passing during a brief season, and we only put it away on December 26th. The angel's message of the arrival of the king, our savior, Jesus, is timeless, it's powerful, relevant, and desperately needed more than 2,000 years later. I ask you to consider it in this way, imported into your life, 
uh, as you walk in Greenville, Texas in 2022. To the children, behold your King Jesus, whom, who loves you and wants you to come to him. To the fatherless, behold your King Jesus, who will adopt you as his own and won't leave you as orphans. To the one caught in sin, behold your King Jesus, who comes to forgive you and to save you from your sin and not to condemn you, but to restore you. To the one sinned against, behold your King Jesus, who has forgiven you much and who offers you comfort and shows us a path to forgiveness and peacemaking and restoration. To the prodigal, behold your King Jesus, who seeks after you and rejoices in your return. To the poor and needy, behold your King Jesus, who has not forgotten you, who will sustain you daily, and is preparing a place for you in eternity where you'll hunger no more. To those with sufficient material possessions, behold your King Jesus, who is greater and more and of, and of more eternal value than anything you possess. To those who weep and mourn, behold your King Jesus, who weeps with you and will be your comfort. To those suffering sickness or caring for those whose health is failing, behold your King Jesus, who has power to heal, who will give you strength and comfort and peace, and faith to endure this difficult time, and who has the power to raise you and your loved one, again, imperishable for eternity. To the rejected, the outcast, and the lonely, behold your King Jesus, who is righteous, oh. <laughs> who, who himself has, who has, let me start over, to the rejected, the outcast, and lonely, behold your King Jesus, who himself was despised and rejected by men, but will be with you, and who gives you his spirit to live within you, so you don't have to walk this road alone. To those suffering injustice, behold your King Jesus, who is righteous and just, and will bring about your vindication. To the busy, distracted, or indifferent, behold your King Jesus. And awaken from your slumber. No longer be satisfied with lesser things, as he alone is worthy of your worship and devotion. And to those found faithful, behold your King Jesus, the one for whom you have longed, and who will one day tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. So how should we respond to his coming? Let's look at Luke 2 for a couple of examples here. We should have the obedience of Joseph because the news of the birth of this king changed his plans considerably and will change our plans too. Like the heavenly hosts, we should praise God and give him glory. Like Mary, we should wonder at the miracle of it all. In verse 38, we're told of Anna an 84-year-old widow who faithfully worshipped and prayed and didn't depart from the temple of God. And when she saw Jesus, Anna began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Today, there are still those who haven't heard him, whom he will redeem 
Like Anna, be prepared for his coming. And like Anna, let's speak of him to others for their redemption, going and telling just as he commanded us. Would you pray with me? Father, you are a good God. You are awesome in power. You're incomparable in wisdom, steadfast in love, and faithful to keep your promises, gracious and merciful to your people. We thank you for your gift of salvation. And we're amazed at the depths of your grace to us in offering Jesus to come and to walk with us and to teach us and to model your character in the flesh and to die to pay the price for our sins. Father, we pray that you would be at the center, at the center of our attention through this season of celebration of Jesus' birth, that you would be on our lips as we speak of your goodness, and that we would be faithful disciples and be a people prepared for the day when we will be with you for eternity in your kingdom. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.